What has been the worst accident you've had on the mountain? My coworker, Chris Neville, we're getting ready to shoot this buck in the high country, and it was in November, and we were, you know, way up on the mountain. So I think it was like negative ten, probably like super cold. And so we're getting—he's getting ready to set up to shoot this buck, and so he had his hands outside of his uh, his gloves, oh. mittens for a long, long time. Right. All right, welcome back, Vortex Nation, to the Vortex Nation podcast. Welcome back to our live podcast. At the Hunt Expo here in Salt Lake. Not well, actually, no, we never left. Scratch that. We're still here. We never left. Not welcome back. We're still here. Still here. I'm joined by the Brady Miller from Go Hunt. His flowing locks blowing in the mechanically <laughs> induced breeze. Brady, it is nice to have you here. It's good to hang out with you again. It's all. It's always fun. This is probably you know we get to see each other a couple times a year. A couple times a year. This is definitely one of them. One of the more mellow shows out there. A fun group of like-minded people. It's just a really really cool atmosphere. It's cool to be doing this live with you, and it's cool for the people of uh, of uh, that on Instagram that ask these questions. We got a lot. Had a lot of people here at the show ask these questions, asking you your deepest darkest hunting secrets i'm going to give away every secret there is in the book right now everything all right just ryan we are recording right everything we're I'm, gonna, op- I'm an open book we're going to need these secrets later all I right just wa- i just want to see the recording afterwards see which we can redact you know <laughs> everyone here live can hear it all but we'll have to redact some exactly yeah i mean that's like uh it's like uh, an exclusive uh, exclusive offer of information exactly, exactly. you, know, you got to be here to be get here it. to learn it i like it i like it all right so we got a we got a list of 20 some questions here coming from all ends of the earth. We're going to start with number one. This one's coming from California. Oh, Brady. heck yeah. Uh, what is the best spotting scope for the money for a hunter on a budget? I didn't plant. You'd think that I planted that one leading off an opposite question. These are actually in no particular order. That, that's, uh, that's the first one out of the gate, though. And this comes from Eddie. Uh, Eddie in California. Okay. The way I approach that is obviously you got to think about what kind of hunt he's going on first. Would that have been a little bit easier? Like, is he going to be a guy going on a backcountry hunt? Is he going to be a guy going on an antelope hunt? Like, there's two different strategies there. I would tend to lean on go bigger right away because you can, like, it's just going to gather more light. You're going to be able to see a lot, you know, just further distance and that sort of thing. You never know what your hunting strategy is going to change throughout your lifetime. So, like, if you start off as a small spotter, yeah, it's going to work great for a little while. But then later on, you're going to be like, ah, oh, maybe I should have bought that 85. Like, that would have been a great choice. Like, so I always lean people towards a bigger spotter right away. Like, like save up a little bit of pennies. Obviously, you got to go Vortex. So, Naturally. So I mean, yeah. I think that's, that's implied. Yeah. But just, like, think of the use case first, like especially too like angled versus straight you know we always have, have those conversations a lot like you gotta make those decisions too but just like find the one that's going to work for you test out a buddies and figure out you know what you kind of like about it because it is very personable like my dad my brothers will only like a straight spotter where i'm an angled guy through and through yeah but it's just like you find out your use case and to me i like a bigger spotter because i like to digiscope i like to be able to see animals later on grab all that footage that's that's memories to me yeah and so i'd rather have a little bigger objective always on a spotter which is Way I like to go through it. You know, and generally with a larger objective, you're going to get more magnification, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, you're, you're kind of gaining, yeah, your uh, form factor, it's going to be a little bit bigger. You know, weight, it's going to be a little bit heavier. The weight, the weight you got to consider. But you're going to gain some functionality, uh, you know, performance and versatility because it'll be kind of one spotter to do it all. And so you're not going to wish you had more. Exactly. Yep. I like it. I like that. I always like uh, having everything I need. Uh, that's why I put so many things in my backpack. Yeah, it gets heavy fast, though. 
Uh, boy, uh, California. Hot one here. Another another optics question. Fancy yeah. that. Uh, best power binos for mule deer hunting. Have you been mule deer hunting before? Uh, yeah, once or twice in my life I've been mule deer hunting, and I've done that once or twice every single year for the rest of my life. So, yeah, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, definitely sarcasm there. For anybody who knows Brady, he's a mule deer fanatic. Uh, that's all I do. Some might say you have a problem. I have a problem. I have a big addiction, and I am the first to admit that, yeah, it's a problem. I think it's beautiful. So you're, what's, uh, what would be your go-to all-around bino for mule deer? Maybe, maybe a, even like a, a model, perhaps, but then a configuration as well. Okay. That's the easiest question ever. 12 by 50 UHD. The reasons why I can handhold them, but the more power to me, like the benefit of it is mounting it on a tripod. I can literally mount it on a tripod. I can pick apart every piece of vegetation, every piece of mountain. I know what that tree looks like. Is that a shadow? with a deer rack behind it, or is that just a tree branch? I can figure that out with 12 by 50s, because I like that extra power. Yeah, sometimes there's a lot of power when you're on like a really tight canyon, or maybe you're you know hunting in the Midwest or something like that. It might be a little bit more power, but for mule deer hunting only, 12 by 50 is what I'll always carry. Because I used to do the thing where I carried you know, all sorts of different optics set up, and now I just do 1250s and a spotter. That's all yep. I need. Yeah. Handheld, and then like I said, off a tripod, you will see more animals all the time, and you'll just pick up the subtle details. I want to see an ear twitch of an animal. I want to see, you know, like I said, that, that tine in a shadow. I pick apart the shadows, pick apart everything in detail, and I can sit behind there with two eyes all day long comfortably. And 12 by 50s are just an absolute game changer. I agree, man. I feel like that is one of the most versatile configurations for like an, an open landscape Western hunt. And, and I mean, I just echo everything you said. You lock those things down on a tripod, and and I mean, you can do some serious work. And I mean, we're I mean, we I don't know if we go throughout a hunting podcast without talking about tripod glassing. Tripod glassing, yeah, um, is the key. And I I say it probably every other podcast, but like it will change your hunting It'll life. Change your life. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'll be glassing it. Maybe you're not finding a deer, but you'll be like, "Oh, what's that tiny? What's that tiny bird at a thousand yards?" You're like, "Okay, I'm I'm effectively glassing right now." You know. And the thing too, like when you're when you're glassing handheld, if I'm on my knees, you can start to feel your heartbeat. Like you'll notice you'll feel your heartbeat, and so your your binos are moving up, moving up and down. You're not glassing steadily. Throwing a rock solid tripod, wind can hit it. Anything, you're glassing. Good to go. Twelve by fifty. So you got a favorite. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I guess in the vortex lineup. What's what's your favorite uh, model of twelve by fifty? Then it's always been the UHDs, or, or recently since you guys released them. Like I've had the HDs before. UHDs are gold. I concur. I concur. I like those answers. I agree one hundred percent. All right. Up next, coming from Rigby, Idaho, uh, Callie McCauley. I think. Forgive me if I mispronounced that incorrectly. What is the most memorable hunting experience you've ever had? That's got to be a tough one. That is hard. Like, you'd think that'd be like a, kind of like a softball question. Yeah. That's a tough question. That's though. the one you got to dig deep on because there's so many experiences out there. And I always think, like, I know we're going to get it later, but, like, the hunts you struggle on, those are my favorite. But I think the, if I had to say the most memorable hunt I've ever been on was a mountain goat hunt I did in 2014. And it was one of those things where... The guy I was going with had never had a, a bow hunter go with him before. He's like, you're going to bring a bow to a gunfight. Like, you really right. should bring a, a rifle here. And uh, the second day of the hunt, I finally saw a mountain goat, put my first stock ever on it, and actually took a mountain goat with my bow. And my dad got to be there and see it, and he had to hike up the mountain, and it was obviously kind of hard for him to do that. We were like, kind of worried about, like, he didn't want to blow his knee out because it's the second day of the hunt. 
And we'd already rode in like, you know, 35 miles on horseback the day before to get in there. So the first stock I ever made a mountain goat, I killed with my bow. This is the most amazing thing ever, like picture perfect mountains, everything was perfect. And then less than 24 hours later, I killed a, a big old bull moose with a giant drop time with my bow. Unbelievable. Just back to back like that. And the guy had never had a bow hunter ever hunt with them. And he's like, oh my gosh, you guys bow hunters are really lethal. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, just give me the situation. And it, was, it worked out perfect. But like to share that memory with my father, who I don't get to see very often because he lives in the Midwest and now I live out West all the time. Right. So we don't get to hang out that much. But we have all those memories growing up and like be able to do a hunt like that randomly and just go and do it. Like that was something I remember forever. Just like to have him there and like, you know, to jump in each other's arms and hug and do all that stuff. It's like, that's, it's not a Mueller story, but it's like, that's my favorite one probably of all time just because it's with him. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and like when, when I was reading that, I was like, man, that's a tough question because a hunt can be memorable or even the most memorable for so many different reasons. Like it could be like, you know, family or, you know, maybe it was just like this crazy struggle fest where you came out successful or whatever. And this one sounds like it's kind of got all those things. All those things. Yeah. I've even had some really good hunts where I don't take an animal. Like those are still fun too. There's all learning experiences and just chalk it up and get better next year, but it's still fun. Nope, for sure, man. For sure. I like it. I like it. From Honey, Honeyville, Utah, Eddie Kilburn, where's your favorite place to hunt? I don't know if we can divulge this information. So the best spot for, for mule deer is Florida because <laughs> they have this big winter snowstorm and everything starts migrating down there. It's a great state for mule deer. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Florida. And then yeah. you can go swimming too. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I, I'll, I'll take that one though. I'll still give a real oh, answer. Okay. Yeah, so the, the real answer... Uh, any place in the West I can actually get a tag. It sounds like a loaded, or loaded answer, but it's like literally if I can get a tag in Idaho, if I can get a tag in Wyoming, Montana, Colorado, those are all going to be great states for me. Like I just love the experience of hunting because every time I go, like I always say, it's like it's a learning experience to me and I'm gaining knowledge about mule deer that I can then take to another state. So like I don't really have a, I kind of have a favorite state, but maybe I won't talk about that one. But like if I can get a tag anywhere in the West, it's a good tag, especially, like I said, like opportunities don't come that often. We're all getting older. So like any tag I can get, I just want to capitalize on it. Like yeah. give me a, give me a map, give me some gear. And like, I feel like I can find some animals that have a good hunt. So it's like, but they're all, they're all really fun. No, man. I think, I mean, that makes a lot of sense too. And I mean, like, it's like, don't, I think people can sometimes get hung up on like, oh, I'm waiting to draw this. I'm waiting to draw this. I'm waiting to draw this. And they're, I'm sure they're hunting, you know, in yeah. the meantime, oh, but yeah. man, just just Pick go. Up a tag and go. Just try and go. In fact, we've talked about this before, even I think when we had you on the podcast. Like, I have points built up in a handful of states, but I end up never burning them because then I just always plan just like these crummy like OTC hunts that I just said, well, I'm, I know I can count on that and I'm just, I'm just going to go. Like, and I know I'm, I can I'm an go, OTC junkie. You know? Every Mueller tag I've ever drawn, I've had less than four points. That's saying something. Yeah. Like, you can just get tags and go. As they say, as they say in Dumb and Dumber, just go, man. Just go. Just uh, go hunt. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. This is a good question. This is uh, coming from uh, Brigham City, Utah. Brad Robinson, which has more effect on bullet performance, velocity and FPS or foot-pounds of energy? I'm an energy guy. Okay. There's no displacement for, repla- there's no replacement, for displacement. Okay. I like to hit things hard and hit them hard really well. And then I guess also, though, fast is a part of that Fast component. is a part of it, too, yes. But to me, it's like... I shoot a big, heavy bullet, you know, and I, if I hit it in the shoulder, it's going to puncture that shoulder. Animal's going to go down. If I hit it somewhere else perfectly, it's still going to go down. If I somehow the animal moves and I just have a lot of energy, you normally it's going to kind of knock it down and I'll be able to get another shot on it. But to me, it's all about energy. And I know it's a heated discussion. You can go back and forth a million different ways, but I just like 
at force. I agree, man. I mean, I like, you know, I mean, you could say, like, or I always like to say, you're never going to make anything too dead. Yeah, it's 100% right. true. Um, along with that, you know, I mean, I do subscribe, you know, you put the bullet where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. It's going to do the job it needs to do. However, things don't always things work out perfectly. Yep. And it's nice to have a little gas or, you know, maybe you, maybe you don't make that perfect shot on the first shot. That animal's going away and maybe you got to drive it at a really hard quartering away angle or something like that. You want enough ump to, to get that done. Yep. Dude, Cali's coming in strong today from Monterey, California. We've got uh, what has been, oh, hopefully it's not too bad. What has been the worst accident you've had on the mountain? You had any hairy situations where things went south a little bit? I mean, the, the only thing I can think about the top of my head in terms of like bodily, maybe I was talking about body stuff, probably like injuries. Yeah. Um, around the hunt in, uh, what was it, 2018, where my coworker, Chris Neville, we're getting ready to shoot this buck in the high country, and it was in November, and it was, I don't know, the town nearby said it was like negative five, and we were, you know, way up on the mountain, so I think it was like negative 10, probably like super cold. Cold. Like brutally cold. Very. And so we're getting, he's getting ready to set up to shoot this buck, and I keep watching the buck, and it keeps diving below this little hill, comes back out. All of a sudden, there's a bunch of does in the way. Don't shoot. That sort of thing. So he had his hands outside of his, uh, um, his gloves, oh. mittens, for a long, long time. Right, yeah. You think, like, okay, I'm going to take him out. We're going to yeah. get the shot, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, and so it was, like, probably 10, 15 minutes of him having his hands on the metal of the rifle, just freezing. And your adrenaline rush is going, so you're not thinking of anything of it. So after the fact, he never got a shot off. The deer runs away. And then he's just sitting there. He's, like, just starts screaming, like. Like, literally yelling, like, oh, my gosh, like, my hands are just, I can't feel anything in my hands. He's, like, literally rolling around in the snow, hands, like, you know, down your, your pant area, trying to do anything. You can't yeah. keep your hands warm, like, in all your clothes. And it's, like, I can't feel my hands. I can't feel my hands. And, like, later on the next day, they were, like, white with little speckles on it and, like, still couldn't feel his hands. So, like, that was kind of a situation because we were backpack hunting, too. Like, we were seven miles from the truck. Yeah, you're not, yeah, you're in not, November. you know, going to crank the heater for an hour. No. And so, like, we had to, like, try to make a fire that night, and he was kind of, like, not able to help for a little while until we got the fire going, finally got some feeling into it, but, like, I think that's probably the worst thing I've ever been. I haven't really experienced a lot of crazy stuff, besides for, like, non-hunting things I have before, like, hiking trips, but okay. a, hun- a hunting one, like, that's definitely, like, really cold. I guess I've been really fortunate, and we've just been really smart and safe about things, but yeah, the cold thing was, like, kind of concerning to me because we're so far away from everything and like he literally was i've never seen someone like in that much pain on the ground just because your hands are cold right I was like my gosh your hands are gonna are gonna fall off like what's gonna happen right now but the cold thing i think definitely i mean that's something is, i'm concerned about a lot that is tough um and you know like you said a cold weather backcountry hunt i mean that's something you better you have to have your ducks in a row and you have to have lost safety gear for it because like that's where things go bad and they go bad really quickly and it's hard to recover from that situation when you're cold like if you don't yep. have the right fire starter you don't have the right wood for the stove later on at night if you weren't prepared for a stove like that could have been really bad for him well and you, th- you even think about starting a fire like if you're solo if he was solo he like, wouldn't have been able to start a fire with his hands like that right like no way he couldn't even like zip up his jacket like I had to help him zip up his jacket his hands were so cold he couldn't like grasp onto the zipper to like move things around or like take it off later yeah like not working. Not working at all. That's not good, man. That's sketchy. That's spooky. I'm glad he's okay. He's, he's did, he, did he have any, like, even, like, residual long-term stuff from No, that? not from his fingers, but both of us later on, uh, had, we couldn't feel our toes for three months. <laughs> 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 like, no joke, couldn't feel our toes. We had uninsulated boots in November. It was not smart. Did you guys get a deer? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It was totally worth it, though. It was good, yeah. We'll explain that deer later. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. a little foreshadowing. Yep, I like yep, it. Yep. I like it. Uh, okay, bam. All right, coming from the great state of Utah, where we are right now, 
best advice you can give a first-time mule deer hunter coming from the Midwest? Okay. A lot of, peop- a lot of people in that boat. Yeah, first-time mule deer hunter. That's, I'm really excited he said he's going to go mule deer hunting because that's the best species to go after. The best advice I'd give is just having a determined mindset of when things go bad on a hunt for mule deer. Like sometimes you're going to go and you're going to see a lot of animals. Other times you're going to go and you're not going to see a lot. Just like knowing that some spots will hold animals and knowing that also like using pressure sometimes to your advantage on some of these mule deer hunts. Because like a lot of states give tags out in October and there's either general rifle season. So there's a lot of people out in the field that might get discouraging sometimes. Like, wow, there's a lot of people at the trailhead. Man, there's a lot of people up on this ridge. But like just staying there and being diligent and knowing deer want to be in some of these areas. A lot of people think the deer, when they get spooked, they just blow out and go away. But like I've had a lot of deer that literally will leave for half a day. They'll come right back the next day and like other people leave. It's just like having a determined nature to sit there and focus and know that there will be deer eventually. And like obviously coming from the Midwest, you might you know, need to be determined with this glassing ever too. Like, notice to glass up and down, try to pick all these little spots out. But, like, just the mindset of staying back there and not getting discouraged. Because after a while, you can be like, man, that hotel with that pizza starting to sound really, really good. I want to leave out the mountains. And just, like, staying back there and being diligent and just hunting hard every single day. Like, I've had so many hunts where beginning of the hunt, we never see anything. Yeah. Like, never see deer. And, like, these are spots I've been to before and think I've scouted really well. And towards the end, finally, the deer shows up. It's usually deer of a lifetime because we put our time in, worked all the bad areas out, and found the good spot. Right. And, and kill that, something. And that's coming from you. Like, you're very experienced, accomplished mule deer hunter. Like, you're not seeing deer every not day. Not seeing deer every day. There's you know? totally lots of days where I don't see any deer. And it's, it's just part of the game. And it's I like, think, that's why I like deer hunting because it's not a given. Every day is not given that you're going to see animals. Yeah. And I, you know, by no means am I saying like whitetail hunting is easy because I think it's one of the more it can be one of the more difficult hunts, you know, but if you are coming from the Midwest, potentially like, you know, maybe you've got a, a really sweet piece of private that you generally hunt, you, you probably are seeing deer every day, right? Yep. And I think being able to go in knowing that that's just not going to be, you know, setting your expectations that like, hey, I'm going to have to hunt hard like I do at home, but you're just not going to have, I guess, that um, that reassurance when you're seeing deer all exactly. the time. It is nice seeing deer all the time because you're like, man, they're here. There's going to be a buck sometimes. Right. Like, it, it helps keep you going. It does. That's it for does. sure. It does. Like, yeah, just don't get discouraged. It's but, easy to out there. Your mind does different things when you're out in a backcountry hunt. Like, even if you're doing, like, a truck hunt, like, your mind will start doing weird things. Like, oh, I should be doing something else. But, like, just stay focused. Yeah. Don't let that pizza and that greasy burger draw you out of the mountains. And I don't know. What is it about, like, when you're outside like that? I mean, it literally, it is always pizza and burgers. Yeah, it's like, literally the first day you're, like, talk, I'm talking to my camera guy. He's like, hey, man, what are you craving right now? <laughs> like, yeah, pizza and a dirty, like, bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> Like now, <laughs> now, immediately. Is there Let's an Uber go. that'll get up here right now and like, you know, bring us some food? That'd be great. I think we just came up with a business idea. Backcountry Uber for hunters. <laughs> yeah. Bring yeah. food. Yep. I bet you could get like a thousand dollars for a cheeseburger. Oh yeah, you could. Um, I love it, man. That's good. That's re- that is really, that is really good advice. Um, Jackson, Wyoming. Okay. Hey, uh, we're just going to dive right in here. Uh, this is important. Backcountry pooping. Oh, yes. Best practices. Okay. Well, I live by the keep it simple method. Okay. And some, this is another thing where I have to talk about my camera guys. My camera guys a lot of time like, hey, can you pack a bunch of my stuff for me? I'm like, sure. You know, pack all your food, whatever. He's like, yeah, bring me a bunch of, you know, toiletry stuff too. So I do this thing where I just take a little bit of toilet paper, just roll up my hand back and forth like four or five times, rip it off. I'm like, yeah, good for a week. I give it to him later in the week. He doesn't really doesn't see it right away because I throw it in his backpack when I pack it for him. He gets over the mountain. He's like, where's my toilet paper? I'm like, 
it's in that little Ziploc bag. It's like, oh, I thought that was just as a joke. Like, where's my toilet paper? It's like, no, that's it. That's for your whole week. <laughs> so I have a very minimalist when it comes to that. I don't know why. I don't prepare for the worst. I just, I just have my little system where it usually weighs like less than an ounce for a week of toilet paper. That's what my thing is. It's like literally weighs less than an ounce and just use toilet paper. That, sounds, that sounds like a magic trick. It's, it keeps things fun. Keeps things fun. Uh, I don't know. You have I to conserve it. I don't know how I figured. And especially out. like later season, later season hunts, I will carry more of a role. But that role is literally dedicated for fire starting, right? With some other stuff on there. But like, yeah, just keep it simple. We th- this is dig, uh, a, dig a little hole, put a rock on it. If you want to know more of those details, and then just yeah, minimalist toilet paper. Hey, you know, I do think that is the best practice. Actually, just you know what, um, just cover it up, cover your tracks, cover your if tracks, you will. leave leave yes. no trace. I will I will say something else. We want to dive into it because we're here, we're whatever. I can talk about anything. My camera guy did have some uh, those wet wipe things. Yes, I tried those the first time in Idaho. Not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> no, not a fan. I don't pamper that area. I'm a big fan. No, no, I'm not about that life. <laughs> it was weird. God. I was like, whoa, 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 no. You are tough, tough as I don't nails. Know, I like it. I don't know. I here's what I I would suggest. Number one, bring it slightly, at least a little bit. I'm not saying we, need, bring a little we, bit more we don't need to go. It. We don't need to go overboard. Yep. You know, I'm not talking like a whole rule or something like that. Nope. But and uh, man, the wet wipes. That's like a. It's like that could be uh, that's like a shower. That's like uh, clean your. It's like a but they're not good for, They're not good for starting fires. They will not help you start a fire if you need to. So my camera guy, all he brought was that, and I like started running out of my fire starting toilet paper supply, and I was like, hey man, you got some extra stuff for fire starter? We already burned through all our like Vaseline cotton balls, and he's like, yeah, I got these. I was like, no, those things don't burn. I tried to burn his whatever he had did not burn at all. I was like, we can't use anything you have for a fire starter right now. That's not good. So that's the only downside about that. But it was weird. It was a weird experience. Fire starter, surviving, a little bit of hygiene. Yeah. You be yeah. the judge. I like it. Um, that was a fun one. Yeah. Moving along now. I was expecting uh, I was expecting more toilet paper. I don't know. <laughs> I literally weigh it out. It's usually like right at one ounce for a whole week. As I like to say, I've grown accustomed to a certain standard of living. That's part of it. Hey, man. Um, Backcountry is not supposed to be comfortable. <laughs> Coming from Michigan, another Midwest question here. Oh, this is from our good friend, Andy May. Andy May, one of the best whitetail hunters I know. We've had him on the podcast. He's writing in via the social medias. Getting specific here. This guy is, always, he, this guy is an expert slash constant, constant learner. Always, yep. tr- always trying to get the info. Uh, second or third rifle in a state that starts with a C uh, with some high and some lower country. In a unit you've never been to and can't pre-scout. Love this question. This is where do you start and what do you look for? Okay, love it. Absolutely love it. So this is me in a nutshell. Like, yeah, I work for a hunting company, but I don't get a lot of time still to go out and scout. So, you know, I try to have two or three mule hunts a year, and so some of those I just can't scout. And so I am doing all e-scouting stuff. But then once I get out there, literally I've never stepped foot in there, don't know anything about it. So to me, trying to figure out that terrain the deer are in, there's two ways I'll go about it. Either I could sacrifice a day of hunting mm-hmm. and kind of drive the road systems, feel out the unit a little bit, kind of see where your pressure is from humans, where I might be seeing deer at certain elevations. Maybe they're on private, but still I'm, I'm telling what, what elevations those deer are at, and I'm, not, I'm marking that down in my head. Like, hey, they're at 8,000 feet, or I'm seeing a bunch of deer at 9,000, or I'm seeing a bunch of deer at 10,000. Noting that as I'm driving around trying to figure that out. And then the next day I might go into the hunt being like, oh, yeah, we saw a bunch of deer at that 8,500-foot level. We need to start there, and we'll work our way around. 
But the other way I do things, which I think is a little bit more easier because you want to get out hunting, right? We don't want to burn a day hunting because you're, you're traveling out there. You're doing all the stuff so you want to get in the field. So I'll just go as high as possible right away. Okay. Which yeah. seems, seems kind of counterintuitive because a second and third rifle in that state <clears throat> that starts with a C is uh, usually cold and miserable. But to me, I like to start higher because a lot of people are forgetting that, hey, these animals live up there all year. They know what a snowstorm feels like. They know what cold weather is. Like, we think they have to migrate down right away. But I've seen bucks up there running their bellies in the snow, totally fine. So as long as there's, de- there's like, the nutritional value, nutritional components they need to be up high at that time of year and there's no pressure, they're still going to be at their high summer range because, like, they like being up there. It's, you know, comfortable and that sort of thing. And so I start high. Like, I've killed a lot of my deer in the state that starts at the sea over 10,000 feet in November. Wow. So, like, most people would, like, avoid that type of elevation range because, like, oh, yeah. yeah, deer have to start migrating down. But it's, like, they had everything they needed. The does were still up there. The bucks were still up there. And so I like to start high and then kind of, like, work my way down as I'm hunting to figure out what elevation band those animals are at. If they're high right away, great. I can hunt them. But if they're a little bit lower, I'll eventually be able to see that. Or I might start high and I'm glassing down a big valley. And then I'll note, like, wow, there's a bunch of deer down that little saddle because that little timber strip right there, they like that edge habitat. There must be a bunch of feed right there and still water. And maybe the does have started congregating there and the bucks are nearby because it's starting to rut. So, like, to me, like, I don't want to start lower in the hunt and deal with all those hunter pressure and then work my way up. I'd rather do the suffer fest right away while your legs are fresh and then kind of work your way down and start finding that elevation band that deer are at. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, number one, you've got, the, I guess, the elevated elevation advantage just from a sheer glassing, glassing standpoint. Advantage. But then also along with that, it's, I guess they're both systematic approaches, you know, the two that you described there. But the one, I think maybe you're going to ping pong around less. You know, you're like, well, wait, we'll go here. We went high, a little bit low. Wait, where are they? It's like, nope, we're going to start here. We're going to work our way down. When we get in them, we're in them. And you'll see those trends. Like, you'll see where animals are at. And you can probably assume it's similar to that a couple basins over or the next spot. Like, Mm -hmm. But once you find them, then you can just hone in on that area. I think that's a great strategy. Just start high. You never know what you can expect up high. Especially, like I said, I've killed a lot of big deer above 10,000 feet in November, and when most people would avoid that area. I feel like that's a, that's a little bit of a hot tip there. It's, it's going to be a cold tip. It's cold tip. You're, you're going to be cold. That's when you bring that little hot tent. Yeah. Yeah, don't leave your hands out of your uh, gloves too long. Nope. Don't be like Neville. Uh, Brady, why do people, I think this is fairly obvious, uh, why do people refer to you as uh, Mulder Jesus? <laughs> oh, I think I know who sent that one in. Yeah, it says right here. It's uh, Cody Bohr. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's my that's my friend <laughs> who works at Go Hunt. So did I say his name right? Yeah, Cody oh, Bohr. Okay. Yeah. So he he likes to joke that I'm the mule deer Jesus because he's like, all you do is think about mule deer, you talk about mule deer, and you eat mule deer constantly, and you have long locks of hair, <laughs> and you just let your beard do whatever, and you are a dirty stink ball when you're on the mountain because like I said I don't care about hygiene at all. It's like I'm just out there hunting, doing my thing. And so he just always calls me the mule deer Jesus because, like, literally he's like, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, yeah, I'm reading this biology report about mule deer. Or like, he's like, why don't you come out and hang out? I was like, no, I'm reading this book right now about mule deer. It's like, literally all I do is think about is mule deer 24-7. Yeah, yeah so I got a lot of homework to do. I got a lot of homework to do. So, yeah, he likes to make fun of me at the the office saying, yeah, the mule deer Jesus. Because like, everyone walks around my mule deer mounts at the office. You guys don't know one of my mounts got broken recently. It's oh, like, really? Well, do you mind? How did that happen? <laughs> oh, that's a funny story. So I just had moved. I have these two giant 200-inch deer that are each on a pedestal. Like, it's my pride and joy. All my mounts in my house and my office are my pride and joy. That's art to me. Yep. Like, that's my fine art. That's my most valuable possession I own because I like to relive those memories. So I had this pedestal mount done like three years ago. I was in the old office. We moved into a new office. Just had literally set it in the spot for the day before. And the next day, a bunch of construction guys came in. No. And they were hanging wires on the ceiling with a scissor lift. So they're driving a little scissor lift around. I even mentioned Cody. They're like, I'm kind of concerned about this. Like, what are these guys doing in here? 
and I was in a, a meeting, and all of a sudden I got a bunch of messages from Cody. And he was like, hey, man, you got to come out here. Something's wrong with your mule deer mount. And I think there's pulling my leg. Like, right. like, like Porter and like Cody like to get me like jazzed up all the time because like, it says it does good on video. Like get me really excited. So I'm like, ah, I, don't, I have this meeting right now. It's too important. I can't go out. He's like, no, you need to come out right, right now. Your, your deer is on the ground. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was livid. I'm like, is this real? Is this fake? I go out there, walk over there. The biggest deer I've ever killed in my life, 204 inches. Not that inches always matter, but it's my pride possession, my biggest deer I've ever killed is laying on the ground, and these guys are up on their scissor lift right above my pedestal mount. And it turns out later they had tried to move my mount out of the way by pushing on the deer. And, like, it's a big pedestal. Like, it's heavy. It's made out of real wood, and I have a big stump I found from Las Vegas in a burn area that has both my deer mounted on. So yeah. they're trying to push the pedestal mount away so they can get the wires by there. And by pushing on it, it broke the bracket. That big giant deer fell on the ground, snapped its skull plate. And luckily, I never wanted him officially scored because now I can't because his skull plate's cracked, and uh, and his his hides all messed up and his around his face and his ears cracked and literally it just tore me apart. I am uh, I'm sorry I made you relive that. Yeah, so it's like I, like I like when people walk by my deer mountain, I'm like, hey man, watch out! Like walk over a little bit and watch <laughs> out for that deer right there. So like it's kind of a joke, but like he, he knows like I literally just love Mulder and love looking at him, love thinking about him, love eating them, everything about Mulder. They are a special deer. I joked, uh, I joked, we had Lamper, Ryan Lampers on the podcast the other day, and I always joke with him about how whitetails are better than mule deer. And, and I, grew up, like, I grew up hunting, you know, everybody knows, or not everybody, if you listen to the podcast, you know, but I grew up hunting blacktails, which is, you know. Yeah, they're really cool. Uh, super cool. I, liked, I told Ryan I, I consider them sophisticated mule deer. Um, but I, consider, man, I consider mule deer the fair species. That's what I would call them. That's fair enough. Okay. Uh, yeah, but gosh, whitetails, I think they're just super fun, super fun. But... Um, yeah, I'm bummed about your mount, man. It was a hard like, thing to realize, especially my to, biggest one ever. Did you have to um, take it to a taxidermist to have them like fix it? So yeah, those guys when they're up in the scissors lift, I was obviously really heated. Might have said some you know words I wouldn't say around my mom or my grandma. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were up there. They they're never dead really, now. Yeah, actually, they never came back. And they said like to another guy because I was really heated. They're like, yeah, we're gonna pay for everything if he needs to get it redone. I don't think they realize how much it's gonna cost because also he's gonna probably need a new cape, which hurts. Because, like, the right. cape means everything to yeah, me. The it's, OG it's, it's cape, a, yeah. It's a, you know, big white face, big Roman nose, big black stripe down his back because it's an old deer. So we can't find a cape, but that cape still means memories. And then his skull plate has to get fixed, and then he has to get, you know, re-welded on that bracket. So it's going to be an expensive bill for those buddies. And I haven't got it fixed yet, unfortunately. And so it just, it was laying down there broken. Every time I walked by, it just, like, a sad memory. I had to finally move it and get it out of there and put it in the back of the warehouse because it hurt. Oh, God, it hurts me just hearing you talk about yeah. it. I had a mount... Uh, that I, almost like a similar thing. We were having some people work on our house, and I had a, uh, an elk shoulder mount. We have like kind of like a, oh, kind of like a big, a bigger great room, or not bigger, but like like a vaulted area, you know, mm -hmm. over the fireplace. So I had this uh, uh, Roosevelt elk, not a giant, ni nice four by four, but I hunted hard, killed it with my dad and my brother. I'm like, dude, I'm getting this thing shoulder mounted, you know? Yep. And uh, there wasn't a stud though in the wall so i just used like a really heavy duty i guess drywall hanger but like it was like totally sturdy but anyway we had some work done on the back of our house and i think just the vibration knocked it off so like i came home and it was like on the ground and one of the um uh brow tines was like stuck like straight out like it didn't curve up and it punched like three inches into the subfloor like i literally had to like forcefully like pull it out of the subfloor and it, it cracked the skull plate like amazingly it wasn't like completely destroyed but the the antlers are a little bit loosey-goosey yeah. but um yeah that was, i was actually i wasn't even I, pardon me i didn't even care because you know we got two some little girls at the time i'm like it, it literally it could have killed somebody oh my gosh so i'm glad 
nobody did die on that yeah, one, yep, but yep. Um, that, but one, again, that, that one stung, though. It yeah, stung, you know. I so. feel your pain. I know, I've been there. This is good. We'll, uh, we'll get off the, uh, we'll be a little bit more lighthearted here. Uh, Ethan Johnson, funniest hunt you've ever been on? Funniest hunt I've ever been Maybe on. Maybe funniest hunt or funniest thing that happened on a hunt. I think the funnest hunt I've ever been on. Oh, funnest hunt you've ever funnest been on. Been a, funnest. Okay. Yeah. Funnest. I need to practice my reading. Funnest hunt I've ever been on. Uh, that's pretty much any hunt I go on with uh, Chris Neville. Okay. Like. You seem like you guys are a pretty good pair. Yeah. We, they always try to break us up. We're like, you know, we're kind of like that, you know, that tandem team that just goes out there and we do things together. We know how things work. But like. Like, I, I consider myself, and I think other people do too, like, I'm more like a drier person. Like, I have dry humor. Like, I'm kind of like the dad joke guy, you know. Like, I'm not really that funny all the time. I take things really seriously when I'm hunting. Right. But he's over there, you know, just cracking jokes the whole time. <laughs> like, saying something funny and, like, always says these random one-liners, you know. And I, especially it's, like, a bear hunt. Like, the bear hunt we do every year together, like, that is the most fun I've ever had. Because usually it's, like, pretty laid back. Sometimes we call it, like, a gentleman's hunt. Like, we take it seriously in the afternoon because that's when all the bear activity is. But in the morning, you know, we're making bacon, hanging out, like doing some fun stuff together, you know, sitting there glassing, like picking off ticks, throwing them at each other, you know, like. Right. We're, we're, we're two guys just having a bunch of fun. Obviously, we're serious when we need to be, but we're also just having a lot of fun together. And it's like every, every second you're just like, what is Neville going to say next? That's just going to make me laugh. And like probably the camera's rolling and probably some of this stuff we probably shouldn't talk about or whatever, shouldn't say something like just hilarious little things that just. You know, it keeps me going. Like that is, how did you just think of that right now? That's the most random thought in the world. And you ask me, I don't know, something about like why I don't like certain food or whatever. It's like, how did you think of a way to say that? Just like, right. And it's like that's a good like hunting buddy because like I'm the serious guy. You know, he's obviously serious too, but he brings that lightheartedness that just makes the days yep. go by that much smoother. Yep. And man, hunts like that are. I mean, I, they are so cool because I mean, like I mean, actually that hunt. I mean, that's that's not like. A, you know, that's not a gimme hunt. That can no. still be a, a tough hunt. It's but very, it's also, very tough. It's not as much of a, you know, grind, 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 grind. We've got to be serious all the time. You know, we're trying to get our one opportunity for the week. Like, you might only get one opportunity on that hunt, but like you said, it's a little bit, little bit more mellow. You can be a little bit lighthearted, and I think that's good to mix those in, especially when you have a, a good person you like know, that. So. so that was like a funnest type of thing, but also funniest. Yes. I tried to cover both, though, since you messed that up at the beginning. You, know? you, you nailed it. Thanks for pointing that out. Coming from Arizona. Okay, another optics question. What is the best, and well, maybe we already covered this, actually. What is the best all-around spotting scope for the everyday hunter? Yeah, we kind of covered that. I mean, yeah. like I said, go, go, go find out what you need, figure out if you want angled or straight, yeah. figure out what your use cases are, buy ones. Yeah, I mean, I'm an, I'm an angled guy. I mean, there's definitely advantages to both. Yeah, there is. You know, as far as, you know, and, and this isn't this person's question, but, you know, we, we get that question a lot, angled oh, yeah. or straight, angled or straight. And I'd say, you know, sales-wise, it's probably about 50-50. Really? And it goes probably depends on how you're using it there's a lot of guys that that's a uh that's a truck scouting device you know they're mm -hmm. doing a lot of long distance covering a lot covering a lot of ground in the vehicle and a straight can be super nice you know you get a get a good car window mount you got got that straight spotter i mean i uh you got the line of sight perspective too yep, it's more do. like pointing Quick your activation. finger yep you know the one trick that i don't hear a lot of people talking about in angled is which i did a lot archery hunting deer was had a bunch of sagebrush flats so the terrain is very low and we were trying to dissect this buck to see if it was worth it to go after, but he was kind of close to us, like, you know, three, 400 yards out, didn't want to pull up some binos, whatever, wanted to do spotting stuff to get some footage. You take that spotter up and angled and you twist the bell of it so the, the eyepiece is then pointing straight down so I don't have to lift my head about the brush at all and I can just lean in there on that angled and actually see the animal straight across. Where a straight one, you're gonna have to get up and my head's gonna be above there, but I can keep my head profile down below the sagebrush and still be able to like glass that animal up. 
I've never tried that before. It looks I mean, goofy, but yeah. like it's very, very easy to do. I mean, I've utilized the rotating the collar yep, rotating. to uh, adjust it a little bit, but never like I guess that extreme. Pull it all the way around. That way you can look and just don't have to give up your profile behind you. It also works too if you're like up on a skyline area and you're worried about like you know going too high. You could just rotate it over as you're glassing, like you don't want to skyline yourself or something like that. Hmm. I like it. Another check plus in the uh, angled category. I like it just even from just uh, I find it more relaxing. I can just dip it's my head down. It's more natural for going downhill, especially uphill. It's easier to look in. And your tripod doesn't be so high, like the vibration and everything. Like we could talk forever on. Oh, we straight. could. Yeah. I, I, I mean, love that discussion. Or, you know, I mean, obviously, if you and I are hunting together, height discrepancy. Exactly. Right. You know, but it'd be you, you don't have to adjust you know, between the two of us. You can be, hey, just look in this. I can just go peer down. Yep, in it. Exactly. So, um, all right, man. I like it. Uh, okay. Going to get philosophical here. Another good one from Utah. What makes you want to hunt? I, I think it comes back to, obviously, I was born into a hunting family, so I was very fortunate in that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, to me, it was always about the camaraderie we had on the weekend, first of all. Because, like, you know, obviously, when you're younger, you don't realize the whole meat aspect in a real way. You, you do eat it, but you don't know it. And it's like, I'm never, I wasn't the type of person who, like, you know, went out and had a bunch of friends and did a bunch of stuff on the weekends. Like, I was a family first like, that's what I like to do. I like to go hunting with my dad. So every morning on the weekends, we'd go duck hunting. We'd go waterfall hunting. We'd go big game hunting. And, like, just growing through that, it's like it made me so much more closer to my family. It made me really close to my friends who would also we'd get, get into hunting. And some of them weren't into hunting, became part of hunting. And then now I just couldn't see myself ever not hunting because it's just, like, it's what I want to do. Because, like, I can, yeah, I can go out and hike and go on a cool adventure and see a bunch of scenery. But I like the part where I'm going out hiking trying to also survive in the mountains but also try to take an animal because like that's the adventure part that just drives me to do everything i do 365 days a year like this is what i live for because it's such a challenge and a aspect of my life that's just ingrained into me that i just want to do it all the time and so like being in those cool places trying to survive but also try to hunt an animal that lives up there that's stronger than i am that's every day is getting better faster stronger and here i am sitting in an office chair every day you know and then like that meat i get from that animal like Literally, no joke, I have never bought beef at a store since I left my parents in high school. And I'm not knocking it by any means. Like, I love going to, a, like, a restaurant and I'll buy a steak. But, like, I've never had to go buy beef at a store because of all the wild game meat I can I take every single year, whether it's ducks, fish, you know, deer, elk, anything, bear. Like, I literally have freezers full and I consume it all every year. People are like, oh, you probably have way too many meat. No, I eat meat literally every day of the week. That's why they always joke like literally all I do is eat mule deer. I bring it into the office. I eat meat, mule deer in the evening, make it on the weekends, eggs, throw a little bit of mule deer meat in there. Like all that stuff just means so much to me that like it makes me excited to wake up in the day because I think about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I get to go to really cool places because of hunting where, yeah, I could go there hiking, like I said, but like I want to survive and also take an animal and it's like the coolest thing ever and like just takes you to beautiful places. Dude, that's awesome. That's a perfect answer. And you talk about, you know, you're talking earlier about like the, uh, you know, like, oh, re- you know, with your taxidermy, like, oh, I, you get to relive it, you know. It's, yeah, but I'm reliving to, those memories all the time. You, you get to relive it when you make that meal, when you make, you know, mule deer and eggs for breakfast on a Saturday and you're drinking a cup of coffee or whatever you're doing, you get to relive that the whole yep. time. And it's, and it's a more meaningful me- meal too. You're just like, wow, like it's, uh, there's so much pride involved in it as well. So yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a hunting family as well. And like a lot of, a lot of similar things there. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, I think it definitely, I know it shaped my life. It definitely does. Like you learn so much about hunting about yourself, like the mental side of it, like test your body, test your fitness levels. Like I said, the mental game is just huge. Yep. 
And it's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that anywhere else, I don't believe. Like, the, you just get that freedom every time you go out there. You do. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, like the, you know, which nothing, like hiking is great. Like, get yeah, outside. I love hiking. If somebody's getting outside, that's a win, right? But a difference for me is, like, when you're hunting, you're essentially incredibly like present and keyed in and tuned in to every moment you're mm-hmm. not ignoring it you hear a, a, a twig snapping could have yep. meaning yeah you know heck a bird chirping could have yep. meaning you know a sound whatever you know uh what's around the next corner has meaning how mm-hmm. careful you're going around that next corner yep. has mean like everything has a there's a consequence you know yep. and you're just like into it the entire time every part of that mountain i have enjoyed and admired because i put my optics on it and stared it up to down i know every little tree i know every little bird what everything's doing how nature is just being nature like you're in it you're immersed yeah yeah you're part of it you know which is uh, super cool um that was a dang good question i know I, and, and not not i mean you answered that very eloquently like i <laughs> when i I was like, man, that's a, that's a toughie. Um, what is the most durable bino? I think that's a trick question. I think they're all durable. They're all durable. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tool that's meant to be used, and I would not be afraid to use it the way it's meant to be used, which is glass hard, glass often. Make the shirt. I like this one. I, li- I, like, I like our last two. Okay. I definitely want your perspective on both of them. And this is an interesting one. Uh, coming from Idaho. Yep. Love Idaho. Okay. 18, 18 by 56 UHDs. Okay. I love that bino. Yep. Or, or 11 to 33 spotting scope. What oh, would God. Brady do? I've gotten this question before. This is from Rusty. Okay. And it's a phenomenal question. Me, on that situation, I, I can't remember the exact weight of both, but I know it's going to be very similar. I would lean towards 18s off a tripod, obviously, Yep. Because those 18s are going to be hard to handhold, but you're going to get the two eyes. I can sit there all day off two eyes and glass. And then, yeah, if I need to, I could handhold them. But like off that tripod, you're going to be able to see far distance. You're going to be able to see everything really close. And I, again, you're going to be able to see all the details. And I like to have that because then it's, I can sit there all day comfortably, like I said, with two eyes. And I know if to squint, I can just pick apart every little detail. And if you're going to buy them ones, I would lean toward that. Just because, like I said, off a tripod, you like it's going to be tough in some of those closer situations for sure because it's a lot of magnification. But you're going to be able to pick up that details really easy, especially at those further canyons. That's where you're going to want some of that magnification, and I'm going to be able to you know grid out everything really perfectly again, doing all the details and shadows. And I think that'd be the better route to go to. But it's a it's a very good question. It is. I okay. I'll preface this with saying I love the 11 to 33 spotter. Like I that is. Uh, a shining, shining star in it the is. lineup. It is. It's really like, cool. It's a really, I mean, it's compact. It's lightweight. It's coming in at like 25 ounces. I mean, essentially, I mean, that's that's less than some just standard 10 by 42 binoculars, yep. right? And you've got an 11 to 33 spotter. How that said, if you were making me choose between that and and those 18s, I probably I would pick those 18s for the exact same reason. And it, but I but I would also assume that that person has a 10 by 42 like on their they chest as well. Do, yep. Because you're going to want that for, that, again, those close canyons. That's right. where you're going to miss out. Or if you're stalking and you're a bow hunter, you're going to want to be able to see, is that buck still bedded? Is he still there in that timber? Like that sort of thing. So that's where those uh, tens are going to come in handy. Awesome. I like it. All right, last one. This is a good one to end on. Again, you're, this is, uh, this is like, I swear, like, uh, we've done, uh, this is going to look like I planted these. I really didn't. Like, I'm, I'm hey, actually man, reading these it. for the first time as well. It's coming from Utah. Why should I pick Vortex? Why should you pick Vortex? Because it's going to help you 
take more mule deer. Which is the point of which, life. Which is the point of life. Okay. But I always think, too, it's like I can, you know, the, the durability I get off everything, like I've dropped my binos, I'll admit. I banged up my rifle scope on the mountain several times. I literally at one point in Wyoming, I shouldn't have said the word Wyoming, sorry. <laughs> the, this thing with a W that doesn't have any mule there. I set my <laughs> rifle down once. And I had a boulder that I didn't know was near me because I was trying to scale down a big, big cliff because there's a giant buck down in this basin. And I was like trying to get set up and find an area I could shoot from. I stepped on this little thing. This big boulder gave way, landed right on the side of my rifle, like hit my rifle scope, smacked on. And I'm like, oh, is everything going to be good? Is everything in tune still? Is everything great? Two days later, shot a giant, giant deer with a big old inline on it, big giant old mule deer. Never failed me. Not didn't tr- knock everything out of tune. Didn't do anything to it. Didn't have to shoot it. I just trusted it was still good because I looked on there. All my reference marks were still on there. I always reference mark a silver sharpie. Okay. On all the rings, just to make sure everything stayed square. Mm-hmm. Everything was perfect. Like it just it works. Like awesome. a rifle scope works. The binos. I obviously like I said I dropped them before. Pick them up. They work. I rolled one down a cliff a little bit. Pick them up. Boom. They still work. Like yeah. it's just and the glass. I can sit down and literally glass all day comfortably. And like I said, I'm a big promoter off the tripod. And I can find animals. Like, they literally just work for me every single time I use them. And I've had some of the very old rifle scopes to the very new ones. I still have that Razor, uh, or uh, was it, the Gen, the Gen 1. Oh, the uh, 5 to 20 by 50. Yeah. yeah. I still have that rifle scope. Yeah. It's still on my muzzle loader. It's phenomenal. Like, <laughs> it still works great. That must be one heck of a muzzle loader. Oh, that's a great muzzle. That's the one I was going to take to uh, that state with it. It starts with. Uh, I don't know. It's one of those Midwest states that has mule deer. Oh, as okay. A, as a late season. Oh, uh, yeah. As a late season hunt, you know. Yeah, I know that one. Yep. Stay out of there. Uh, so like they just they just work for me, and it's like, you know, I'm able to like every single big deer is taken with the Vortex rifle scope. I mean, you bring up like a good point that that I like to point out too. It's like we work really hard to make durable optics. Yeah. But you know, as probably more than a lot of folks, like when we're hunting. We are not in the friendliest environment. Things aren't always cherry. Things aren't always cherry. Things can go wrong. Accidents happen. Whether you, they you do. Know, you, you boulder rolls on your gun, or uh, you know a horse falls, or whatever, yep. right? You know we don't put our optics in the friendliest environments, right? So I mean that is where like yeah, hopefully, hopefully you never have an issue. We plan on you never having an issue, yep. but we also have the VIP warranty in case you do. We are going to take care exactly. of you exactly, and we also know. That when those things happen, they're probably going to happen during a time of year when you really need those optics. So we really work hard to get them back to you as soon as possible. So, I don't know. That's kind of like an all things being equal thing. I think, you know, that that uh, customer focus on, on our end is like, you know, kind of can be a tipping point. Yep, so. You guys are obsessed with customers. That's what's really cool to see. We, like, I mean, they, I mean, it's like, uh, it sounds cliche or like, of course they're going to say that. Like, they are the focal point of everything we do. Mm-hmm. Like the nucleus of any decision that we make at Vortex starts with the customer. So, Brady. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you so much for the very, very insightful answers to all these questions that we peppered you with. Thanks for making the time to come out and visit with us. Like we said, it's always fun. It's always fun. Like I said, I gave away all the secrets, too. So All of them. I wanted to redact some things, but we're maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe, we'll, uh, maybe we'll title this one, like, Brady Miller's Mule Deer Secrets Revealed or Revealed. something. Just really, really, yeah, yeah. really clickbait it in. Clickbait them all. <laughs> yep. No, but, I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Appreciate having me on. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening. Thank you again, Brady. 
And uh, until next time, happy hunting and shooting, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.